Let's pray and get things started, if we may. Oh, gracious God, bless our time together. Allow your spirit to work its wonder in our midst as we seek to live lives that are faithful to Christ, our Savior. Allow our hearts and our minds to be transformed by your word as it's given to us in, in so many different venues, but especially as we look at scripture this morning, your true gift of truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. We're all doing well this morning. Those of you who are in first service, he's over here today. He's, he's switched tables on you. Um, I won't be in second service. We have a family event. I married my mother yesterday, and it was... It, it, it is a little weird to marry your mother, I will, <laughs> I will tell you, uh, but it was a wonderful event, but she did want a brunch on Sunday morning with her family and his family who all flew in for all this, so um, I'm, I'm here to teach, and then I'm ditching you for the three, 356th, is that what it's called, the yeah. fighter, yeah, where we'll continue to eat and to obscenity. Um, <laughs> well, we went, to, we went to Bender's after last night, so it's like you get done there, and it was incredible, and then to go to the Bomber Squadron for brunch this morning is like, okay. Um, week two of It's a Wonderful, well, here's my brother, by the way, who surprised me this morning by even getting up, and and my brother-in-law, my new brother-in-law, Tom. Oh, my goodness. And I've, always, I've wanted to do this for a couple years now. I've wanted my brother, Ron, to meet Mr. Milligan. <laughs> Welcome, both of you, all three of you. All three, I didn't even see Bill. This is my new father-in-law. Bill. Or is, no, wait a minute. He's my new dad. He's my stepdad. <laughs> I'm impressed. Considering you did the, the ceremony, I'm Cons- it, it's, I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Okay. They have no idea what we're going to be doing here. So just kind of clue in. All right. Because um, I was just explaining to them what was going on last night. Um, after, after we're done with class, nobody is permitted to talk to my brother. Um, yeah, you are to ignore him at all costs and price. And as a matter of fact, I will probably have class go right up to the point where you have to leave here to get into worship in time. Uh, that would probably be the safest thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, any, now why isn't, oh, thank you, Jack. We've prayed, we, we, re, we remember last week, briefly, last week we watched that segment of the film um, that encompassed the run on the bank. Uh, he's off. George, George and Mary are, are in their, the car, the taxi. They're on their way to 
the train station to, to begin their honeymoon and the run on the bank. Um, they catch it as, as they're pulling out of town and George stops the car, okay? Stops the car. Any additional thoughts on, on that scene, those scenes as, it on, as they unfolded from last week? If not, we'll move on. But okay. I want to look at a scripture passage before we move into the scene. Uh, and it's a, this, is a, this is a passage that is from the Sermon on the Mount, from the sixth chapter of Matthew. We know this passage. We've, we've, we've heard it before. We understand, I think, that it is, it is a challenge especially given the culture we live in um, and the day we live as well, the, the simple days that we live in. So um, I invite you to close your eyes for this, and, I, and I'll read it, but I invite you to simply close your eyes as we engage the scripture. I'm going to ask you to picture Jesus um, sitting because he was teaching, so he was sitting. Um, and then see if you can hear his voice as, as he is sharing this teaching. So Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. The eye of the lamp the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, we'll get into this. We'll, we'll take this piece apart a little later. But, but right now, let's, let's um, move back into the video. This is, um, again, we're assuming everybody has seen it or at least is familiar enough with it to realize what is happening. A quick setup again. Um, Mr. Potter... The richest man in town uh, has been trying to take over or destroy the um, the loan. I can't think of the name of it. The savings and loan. Thank you. The savings and loan now for several years. Um, he can't seem to do it. He can't get his grubby hands on the savings and loan. So he's now going to take a different tact. He's going to shift his sails. He's going to, he's going to try another way of, of um, luring George into his, into his web. Let's watch it. Come on. There we go. Hello?
We'll get back to it. How do I? I'm trying to remember how to get into full screen. <laughs> Look at that car, isn't she a beauty? Now I'm wondering why we don't have sound. Because I didn't turn it on. Okay, I'm going to go back just a little bit. Brad, that this house... Alright, this is the... If you're recalling, this is, this is um, the honeymoon at the home. in this Paris field. Mrs. Martini, welcome home. Hello, right. George. He's always making a speech. Hee-haw! Sam Wainwright. Oh, who right. cares? Bread, that this house may never know hunger. Salt, that life may always have flavor. And wine, that joy and prosperity may reign forever. Enter the Martini Castle. Look, Mr. Potter. It's no skin off my nose. I'm just your little rent collector. But you can't laugh off this Bailey Park anymore. Look at it. Congressman Blatz is here to see you, sir. I'll tell the congressman to wait. Go on. Fifteen years ago, a half a dozen houses stuck here and there. There's the old cemetery, squirrels, buttercups, daisies. I used to hunt rabbits there myself. Look at it today. Dozens of the prettiest little homes you ever saw. 90% owned by suckers who used to pay rent to you. Your potter's field, my dear Mr. Employer, is becoming just that. And are the local yokels making with those David and Goliath wisecracks? No, they are, are they? Even though they know the Baileys never made a dime out of it. You know very well why. The Baileys were all chumps. Every one of these homes is worth twice what it cost a building and loan to build. If I were you, Mr. Potter... Oh, you are not me. As I say, it's no skin off my nose. But one of these days, this bright young man's going to be asking George Bailey for a job. Bailey family's been a boil on my neck long enough. Yes. Come in here. 
We just stopped in town to take a look at the new factory, and then we're going to drive on down to Florida. Oh, that's Why don't far. you have your friends join us? Why, sure. Hey, why don't you kids drive down with us, huh? Oh, I'm afraid I couldn't get away, Sam. Still got the nose to the old grindstone, eh? Jane, I offered to let George in on the ground floor in plastics, and he turned me down cold. Oh, now, don't rub it in. <laughs> I'm not rubbing <laughs> it in. Well, I guess we'd better run along. Awfully happy to have met you, Mary. Nice Come on, to meet you. Bye, Jane. George. Glad to see you. Come along, George. See you in the Goodbye, funny paper. Come on, Mary. Sam. Have fun. Goodbye. Thanks for dropping her out. Florida. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! <laughs> Cigar, Mr. Potter. You like it? I'll send you a box. Well, I, uh, I suppose I'll find out sooner or later, but just what exactly do you want to see me about? <laughs> oh, George, now that's just what I like so much about you. <laughs> George, I am an old man. Most people hate me, but I don't like them either, so that makes it all even. You know just as well as I do that I run practically everything in this town, but the Bailey Building alone. You know also that for a number of years I've been trying to get control of it, or kill it, but I haven't been able to do it. You have been stopping me. In fact, you have beaten me, George. And as anyone in this county can tell you, that takes some doing. Now, take during the Depression, for instance. You and I were the only ones that kept our heads. You saved the building alone. I saved all the rest. Yes, well, most people say you stole all the rest. The envious ones say that, George. The suckers. Now, I have stated my side very frankly. Now, let's look at your side. <laughs> Young man, 27, 28, married, making, say, 40 a week. 45. 45. 45. Out of which, after supporting your mother and paying your bills, you're able to keep, say, 10, if you skimp. A child or two comes along, and you won't even be able to save the 10. Now, if this young man at 28 was a common, ordinary yokel, I say he was doing fine. But George Bailey is not the common, ordinary yokel. He is an intelligent, smart, ambitious young man who hates his job, who hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. A young man who's been dying to get out on his own ever since he was born. A young man, the smartest one in the crowd, mind you, a young man who has to sit by and watch his friends go places because he's trapped. Yes, sir trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters. Do I paint a correct picture? Or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point? My point is I want to hire you. Hire me? Yeah, I want you to manage my affairs, run my properties. George, I'll start you out at $20,000 a year. 
$20,000 a year. You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes, a couple of business trips to New York a year, maybe once in a while Europe. You wouldn't mind that, would you, George? Would I? You're not talking to somebody else around here, are you? You know, th this is me. You remember me? George Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, whose ship has just come in. Provided he has enough brains to climb aboard. Confounded man, are you afraid of success? I'm offering you a three years contract at $20,000 a year starting today. Is it a deal or isn't it? Well, Mr. Plunder, I, I, I know I ought to jump at the chance, but I, I just, uh, I, I wonder if it would be possible for you to give me 24 hours to think it over. Sure, sure, sure. You go on home and talk about it to your wife. I'd like to do that. Yeah, then in the meantime, I'll draw up the papers. All right, sir. Okay, George. Okay, Mr. Potter. No, 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 wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I don't need 24 hours. I, I don't have to talk to anybody. I know right now. And the answer's no, no. Doggone it. You, you sit around here and you spin your little webs and you think the whole world revolves around you and your money. Well, it doesn't, Mr. Potter. In the, in the whole vast configuration of things, I'd say you were nothing but a scurvy little spider. You, and that goes for you, too. for you, too! You wouldn't mind living in the nicest house in town, buying your wife a lot of fine clothes, going to New York on a business trip a couple of times a year, maybe Europe once in a while. I know what I'm gonna do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and the year after that, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm gonna see the world. And then I'm gonna build things. I'm gonna build airfields. I'm gonna build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm gonna build a bridge a mile long. What is it you want, Mary? What, you, you want the moon? If you do, just say the word. I'll throw a lasso around it and pull her down for you. Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight? Yeah. Hi. Pardon? The sheepfolds are coming in. Yes, they are. All right. Um, does anybody get the, the hee-haw reference? Does anybody know what that's all about? I don't... I, 
I know, and maybe that's all there is to it. I gotta tell you, I love the line, tell the congressman to wait. Um, there's evidently, um, well, let me put it this way. In Hollywood, it, it's easy to delineate two types of living. You know, there's the good, and then there is the bad. There is um, the godly, and then there's the ungodly. There is the honorable and the dishonorable. There there is the good and the bad. Um, and I think obviously what we're, we're, we see set up here is the juxtaposition between the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, the, the moral and the immoral. Um, if we uh, go back to our scripture passage and, and talk about this for a little bit, um, it, it kind of fits in rather nicely it, it really does. Um, looking at the passage for a moment, we'll get, back to the, we'll get back to the scenes, but looking at the passage for a short bit. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Um, just a quick few notes, um, exegetical notes on this. Um, treasures on earth where moths uh, and vermin can destroy. In the day of Christ, there weren't a lot of possessions to be had. So one of the things you valued, you valued greatly would be your clothing. Thus the, the reference to the moth. Um, vermin destroy uh, probably has to do with the fact that one of the things you could store would be food. And in fact, we read the parable of of uh, the farmer who builds extra barns. And, and again, that's another occasion for Jesus to teach that um, it is better to store things up for heaven rather than for, for uh, our time here and now. Uh, so that probably has to do with, um, you know, food storages and, and just gathering more and more where, in fact, mice and other rodents could get in and destroy uh, along with disease, could get in and destroy everything that is, that is there. Uh, where thieves break in, the word break in um, in, in, the, in the Greek uh, can also be translated um, as dig down or, or dig through. And if you'll remember, in, in that day, most of the homes were made of clay. The, the average person had a home that, that was built with clay blocks, so you could dig. Uh, thieves could dig through walls rather than breaking down doors. Um, so they would dig through and uh, take what is take what is uh, in there. Um, so the whole notion, obviously, is the here and now versus what is to come. Uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Continuing in this quickly, we'll make our way through this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Um, again, looking at how we, how we translate and, and move into this, if we're going to look at the idea of healthy, um, scholars today tend to think that this has, since we're such a culture that thinks of, of health as absence of disease, um, that we're, we're talking here of the health of soul. 
So most scholars would, would rather translate this, uh, the eyes of the lamp of the body, if your eyes are generous, um, then your whole body will be full of light. In other words, we're, we're not, in the Greek, you're not so connected to the, the physical body understanding of health, but the spiritual understanding of where health is. Um, so we're looking at, at uh, windows, for it's understood in that day that, that your eyes were the windows of your body. And if they were unhealthy or ungenerous, they, were, they would be like dirty windows. Uh, and it, light can't come through dirty windows. Or if it does, it, it obscures what there is to see. It makes it difficult to see what is real in and around you. It, it um, creates a darkness. And as we will read later on, um, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great is that spiritual darkness? How great is the lack of, of spiritual life within you? Um, and and uh, in, in essence, or in ultimate, in ultimacies, um, how your life is controlled. Is it controlled through the darkness or is it controlled through the light? Um, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This passage is, is we also studied two weeks ago in the Tuesday morning uh, Bible class, and some, somebody brought up the fact that there, there really is a dualism there that may not be 100% accurate. It is for Jesus' teaching point, but just because you love one master, does that mean you hate the other? or vice versa. And we can play with that as, as we move on. Uh, but the reality being that uh, what we have here is a call to total loyalty, um, which as a, a, a segue, um, last night at the, at the wedding ceremony, I, I read from Ruth, um, where Ruth is, is pledging her loyalty to Naomi. Um, and she says, you know, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you make your home, I will make my home. Wherever uh, you die, I will die. Wherever you are buried, I will be buried. That is the type of loyalty that, that Ruth is, is, is witnessing. Uh, and it's the kind of loyalty, ultimately, that, that Jesus is talking to in, or talking, referencing, uh, in terms of, of treasuring up uh, or storing up treasures here. Where is, where is the, the issue here is ultimate loyalties. Where is ultimate loyalty? With that in mind, let's consider the clip. And, you know, we've, we've talked that this will be a discussion, so let's discuss. What pops into your mind? I guess we better do this because we have... First, a real general comment. I'm, I'm pleased to hear about the celebration in the DeVries family this weekend, and we want to welcome your brother. And I'm observing that in his vast wardrobe, he got up this morning and chose, oh, to, no! oh, to, he chose to put on scarlet and gray. And I think we're all going to draw encouragement that there's hope for the DeVries family. In, Thank you, Ron. Just Thank in general. You, Ron. 
See how difficult it is to live in Ohio. Now, a specific comment about this, this clip and the, and the scripture. Um, I've always been struck by this passage, and it's not just that our treasure is consumed by moth and rust and vermin, as the scripture says. Mm -hmm. But Mr. Potter's heart was consumed and destroyed by his attitude. And Jesus is talking about our heart here. Mm -hmm. He's a divine psychologist. He knows that our treasure, our heart will follow our treasure. Right. And Potter's heart certainly did that and was destroyed by it. And we remember in when, whenever, especially in the New Testament, when we speak of the heart, we're not speaking uh, of, uh, of the organ that simply pumps blood. For um, the, the one in that day and age, the, the heart was also the seat of reason. Uh, it was the seat of intelligence. It was the seat of the spirit. It was the seat of, of everything that you were. It was where your character was held. So the point's very clear that as we look at Mr. Potter, we look at somebody who, whose uh, lamp is really dim, whose windows are really um, soiled um, heavily, and there, there is no light that gets in. No light. Um, and the character's obviously designed to make sure that we understand there is no light that is to get in there. Other thoughts? Hand, hand the mic over there. Did you notice the metal skull sitting on the desk? The metal skull? No. Did anybody notice that? You're good, Sue. Well, what do you drive from that? I can, I can see where his vision is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, go ahead, John. I... Uh, you know, in terms of if you want to go to the extreme of, you know, the darkness and the devil, Potter uh, could have been a lot more effective. Uh, he, he obviously is very talented in what he does. And, and, uh, but in reading this particular individual, he, he appealed just to what appealed to him, the man's personal wealth, how that would increase. Had he approached him in terms of what he, Bailey, could do for the community with the backing, he, I think he would have had a much greater opportunity there. Yeah. And, and it, it is amazing how, uh, you know, you will be tempted by things and individuals and they find out what you really are all about and what you want and then they'll kind of yeah. probe at that. The $20,000 today, I, I, I did a little research. I'm probably off a little bit, but uh, his salary today would be about $67,000. What Potter was offering him would, would amount today to about $590,000 a year. So with a three-year contract, so $1.8 million when you're done talking about it in round figures for three years' work, um, yeah, yeah, you could see the wheels 
the wheels turning. You could, you could see the fact that um, he was obviously tempted. He was obviously thinking um, this worldly, we would say. You could see that, that Potter had also hit him at his most vulnerable point. What did he offer him other than money? Traveling, which of course was what he wanted. He wanted to go out and see the world. Uh, he wanted to, to get out of town. And, uh, and of course, these are all things, the other, by the way, that his brother, if we remember, has done as well. He's gotten out of town. He went and served. He was the, the war hero. He'd been around the world. Uh, his friend who, who had uh, invited him into the plastics industry at the very beginning, he obviously was living a good life. Uh, and they're on their way to Florida. They're on their way to travel. They're on their way to a new place. They are getting out of town. What else do we notice? Hang on, Jerry. There we go. Um, the thing that occurred to me was, you know, what would be wrong with working for Potter for three years and then bowling with your money and make do what you want to do with your life after that? And obviously, the answer I answer myself is that after three years, you may, have, you may think like Potter, and then you may be in bigger trouble than you were to start with being poor. So anyway. Yeah, it, it's, who, wants to, uh, who wants to go back to the farm after you've been to Gay Perry? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whoop, hang on. There we go. Just, just a brief comment. It occurred to me immediately that his wife had married one type of man. She loved that man. Mm -hmm. uh, she wanted a family. Everything that Potter was offering would take him away from those values, and I don't think his wife would be happy at all about it. No, I don't think so either. As a matter of fact, they do have a conversation about it at one point later in the movie. Um, there's a, you know, Jerry, thinking about, um, you know, going, going, what would be wrong with, with saying, I'm going to go ahead and work for him for three years, then I've got, then I've got a, a stash of cash I could, I could reinvent. Um, again, an interesting temptation, and, and one of the things that crosses my mind are the passage of Scripture where Jesus is tempted. And... Uh, Satan offers him all of these, these things, power, glory, uh, worship, um, which, which Christ could have seen as a means to a better end if he'd wanted. Um, he could have said, well, it, you know, to, if, I, if I jump off the pinnacle, everybody will see who I am, and then everybody will confess who I am. And that's the point, isn't it? that all the world may confess with their tongue and bend with their knee, proclaiming him as Christ. So it's easy to take a temptation and, and warp it around um, for, dark, for dark purposes, we would say here. For dark purposes. So in, interesting thought. Other comments? I'd just be interested on the uh, take on the bit with the handshake, with the personal touch. It was so dramatic. It was almost like he came out of a 
cloud or, you know. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting thought, too. Yeah, that somehow up, in, up until that moment, he'd been living in this, this little what if, and the minute he touched his hand, something clammy and, um, yeah, something really disgusting had, had touched him, and yeah, ugh. time to go take a shower. Pardon? Shaking hands with the devil. Yeah, he and Daniel Webster, you know. Time to go wash my hands. Yeah. Other thoughts? Go. Well, what occurred to me when he was given this offer was that he should have negotiated with Potter and said, you know, can I run the business the way I want to? He could have done a lot of good that way. Ah, so you negotiate with Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Negotiate with Satan. There's a thought. (laughs) Yeah. I was just thinking that... From a business uh, perspective, you know, you think. What's the parallel today? Back in the the Boone town times after the war when we we saw neighborhoods like what we were seeing on on the video. But today a parallel may be in the sport world where um, loyalties to a team, coach loyalty to a team, changes by money. And, uh, you know, Cleveland Indians were Cleveland Indians in, in the 40s and 50s and whatever, and Browns were the Browns, and they stayed. And they, they were the team for years and years, and now it's, it's really a contract, it's money. And uh, do they sell their souls to leave that town yeah, no different than LeBron, maybe, you know. Uh, we he was we a don't say count. LeBron in this building, you know. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's a parallel, isn't it? Uh, kind of, I, I think. Then, yeah. And then when I see the, the sport world, which is a, you know, a little case study of a different culture of, of how to grow rich fast if you're good, I see those same scenarios in the corporate world, you know, that contract, uh, you're going to come to work for X corporation, we're going to pay you, and if, the, if you don't make certain bonuses or certain um, margins in the profit and dividend levels, you're out, mm-hmm. and um, they'll go find another guy. It, yeah. it's, it's not much different. Other thoughts? You have to use this. You do. I'm sorry. So, as Ron, uh, would you please? Because it's podcasted. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank okay. Uh, I think if you look at the scripture that we have, the example that you just used, and the example that was learned, it was used earlier. You look at time horizons. If you look at the financial markets, all of our financial markets are driven on earnings, which are every three months. And so, stock prices go up and down as a result of whatever news comes up proposed earnings, whether they be, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, semi-annual basis, and we're starting to see some of those companies go to a semi-annual basis. Google is a good example of that. They report earnings now every six months. When you look at the, the sporting world, you look at the athletes, and their assumption is, I have five to seven years to, to be money. productive as, a, as an athlete. So subsequently, you're, we look at our lives and we say, okay, we have 20 years to, to raise a child. And when you look at what the scripture is teaching, the scripture is teaching 
Those time frames are, are, are worldly time frames. But our Heavenly Father doesn't, doesn't, isn't active or, or doesn't equate it from that perspective. His perspective is an eternal perspective. And I think uh, as, we, as we make our life decisions, we have to weigh those very, uh, very substantially. And I think that's what you saw him go through in that process. Uh, of the scene where he wakes up after the handshake. Is that where? He, yeah. Is that where he is? He processing just that fact. Is he is he doing what somebody suggested earlier, and that is, you know, multiplying six hundred thousand dollars a year by three. What could I do with that afterwards? Um, provided, of course, he's the same person he is today, three years later. What? Um, this is this this is tricky stuff because. Um, we live in a world that is very different and yet very much the same as it, as it was then in terms of power and greed. I mean, some things change and some things don't. Um, if, you're, if we were to try to, to draw up a, a, a list of, of the marks of those who who value the treasure on earth versus the marks of those who, whose treasure lies in heaven. Understanding that, that to draw and delineate in such a stark way is probably, you know, it's a great teaching tool, but it's probably not, doesn't reflect how we as human beings function. We function much more like George. We, we happened to see once where he, where he succeeded, where he saw the temptation and backed away. Just earlier than that, we, we felt his real frustration when he kicks the door of his car. His, his wealthy comrade has just left, and, and at least there's no doubt in my mind that, that he wants that, and he knows he wants that to some degree, and what does he do? He kicks the cat something that can't fight back, something that's not going to, to claw back at him. Um, when, when you think of, of life here today, what are the marks of the person who really seeks or, or struggles to make this delineation? Um, who really tries to live out the notion that this is a passing time and that this time will, is fleeting, it will be gone, and a, a new dawn will come, and we, through the grace of God, will be living in that new time. What are the marks? What are the marks? Who's going first? Jack, I'll go. All right. One of the words that we haven't heard much about is responsibility. And we are humans who live in a real world. And we don't just live for the moment. We live with obligations and responsibilities to care for circumstances sometimes we've created, sometimes have been created for us. And um, I'm not sure that for us to live in the twilight between the daylight and the nighttime, 
isn't really accommodated if we can do it with joy um, by the sense in which we tithe and we offer mm -hmm. uh, and we serve others. I, I'm impressed just with the number of people I know in this room who have contributed so much um, in ways that the rest of us don't even know about in helping other people. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we can totally divorce the reality of our responsibilities from uh, the ethereal idea that we will live forever and there will be an eterni eternity for all of us. No, excellent, excellent. Oh, he's holding on to it. So. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give a personal uh, approach here. Back, you know, back when I was uh, in uh, in the prime of my career, I was uh, I had three children that want to go to medical school. Well, I calculated that up a million two or something like that, and you know, I wasn't making that kind of money, even though I was well paid. So I was obsessed by that. And in fact, enough that I quit taking all my vacation, I got depressed, and she knows the rest of it. <laughs> uh, the, now, uh, had I looked at, now it's easy for me to look back now and see, you know, I went to college, it didn't cost me anything. I played football, played my trumpet, and played baseball and uh, got good grades, and that's, so I didn't pay anything to go to Worcester. Uh, then, uh, here recently, so anyway, I had to pay for all the boys' medical school and what have you like that. So here recently, uh, I have two uh, grandchildren, they're going to college. Very bright, brilliant kids, and guess what? They don't have to pay anything either, like me, because the colleges wanted them so it, badly. So, you know, I didn't need to worry at all back there, but, you know, I couldn't see in the future far enough or back far enough. Interesting thought. The, the whole notion of worry is your point. Yeah. What will change through our worry? Does, does the sparrow add one day to its life? through its worry. Is that also a recipe then for irresponsibility? Do you think that in part uh, the timing, the time period when this movie uh, was written has a role? Uh, I, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a movie, but uh, we all say, oh boy, he made the right decision. I can't think that I would have made that decision without maybe going home and talking with my wife or my life down the road may well have changed. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, whether it's a writer, uh, but uh, you know, we soon I watched the Lincoln movie last <laughs> night and uh, the only thing that seemed to upset them more than the uh, abolition of slavery was the possibility that women would have the right to vote someday. Uh, then you go to this period of time where it didn't seem necessary to communicate that. He, and we can say, well, he knew her heart and he knew that, but I, I just found that interesting. I, yeah. I think today, hopefully, most would uh, at least have that communication with their spouse. Um, 
let me let me throw it back at you. Say, hang on to the microphone. Uh, because <laughs> because listen, I don't. I'm not used to getting questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Your Honor. <laughs> but you're but you're on the stand now. Um, later on in the movie, they do discuss it. Husband and wife discusses it. Um, not overtly, but she knows where his heart is. So to take it to her, even in that day, um, what, do you think would, what, what do you think ultimately would be the, different, the difference in taking it to your beautiful bride as he didn't take it to his beautiful bride? Um, Yeah. Uh, but even at that point in time, I think they knew each other's values that it would have been the same result. It's the doing of it, though. Mm-hmm. The doing of it, that showing the, uh, the importance of that we are going to share things, we are going to talk things over, as opposed to, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I would have felt comfortable making it, knowing her values uh, at the time, but I still think uh, it makes sense. Yeah. Judge, which would your would Sue Ellen have chosen? She would have chosen the values. The values. Without well, the values. Yes, Sue Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not quite at that point yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get there. <laughs> what would Sue Ellen say? Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you can't punt that one. You two are a hoot. All right, let me. <laughs> This is so on target that I just couldn't resist. My husband's parents were very happily married for many years. They knew each other extremely well before they got married. However, there came a time when my husband's father saw on the lot a car that he was sure that his wife would absolutely consider his dream car. And the salesman, being a good salesman, let him know that this was his moment of opportunity. And thinking that he knew his wife very well and she would be so happy with the surprise, he went ahead and bought this car. And his wife was surprised. (laughs) But it was the, uh, shall we say, watershed moment of their marriage because she did not see this as getting a wonderful surprise. She saw it as a betrayal of the trust that she was an equal partner in the marriage. Even back then? Very good. Very good. Uh oh. <laughs> yes, Pastor Wendy. Well, talking about the marks, I the only thing I can say is that we what we hear Jesus say is very challenging and difficult and hard. And I think when Tony Campola was here and and he talked about the red letters of what Jesus said, it's really been um, stirring my heart. And I realize that I have not wanted to deal with the red letters, Mm -hmm. certain red letters, certain words, certain challenges that I have conveniently like the sermon that I had to preach a while back that it's like I was able to avoid that. 
but I couldn't avoid it anymore. And I, and I just think that we are so, the American church is so influenced about, by the culture, and this is my personal opinion, I say a little bit about that today in the sermon, that, that I, th I think the first step for us is to be willing to wrestle with these difficult words of Jesus. Really being able to say, okay, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to dig deeper. And, and Holy Spirit, will you show me what you want to be teaching me about these words, these difficult words of Jesus, as a, as a healthy starting point? Don't be like me and avoid it most of your life. Be able to start taking those steps and seeing where God will take you and your, your spouse and your family. We talk about the hard words of Jesus, you know, and this is one of them. Most of you know me well enough to know where I'm going to go with this stuff, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go right into lambasting the prosperity gospel, this whole notion that, that our culture has really done its number on us in, in terms of exegetical um, work and spiritual definition, that somehow or another our, our culture has reframed Christianity for a fair percentage of people in our country, where now we, we view scripture through um, our economic system and not vice versa. Uh, and that, that for me becomes very troubling. Did you have any? The, the notion that somehow all of Scripture is to be defined and, and reinterpreted through the understanding of blessing, that God simply wants to bless us. And what blessing is in our culture is something, I think, radically different than in the biblical culture. Go ahead. How many so-called pastors have used Scripture to their own ends and distorted our culture? Every one of them, as far as I <laughs> including, I mean, no, but seriously, we are all guilty. Have used the words to make sure there are coffers in the church. You make oh. guilt induction. Yeah, <laughs> works I, wonders. You know, I would be slandering my brothers and sisters in the ministry if I if I went too far on that. But I, I wasn't meaning present pastors. No, I'm I, talking about people who really, you know, you the Billy Sundays. Watch television. I mean, all exactly. you have to do is watch. Uh, the and television they have not helped the culture. religion. Yeah. No, they have not helped. They've they've done more damage. Creo Dollar. I'm sure his parents didn't name him that. In in fairness to the ministers, Christ was making putting a guilt trip on people too to make well, sure that they you got it. Well I don't know if I call it a guilt trip, but <laughs> money coffers. Yeah. Wendy's point, um, I think, is important for us as, as a congregation. We've got to wrap up here. As a congregation that is beginning to come to understand that faith isn't something we possess. It is something that first possesses us, and second is something we grow into. Um, I was not... I did not magically become a mature Christian upon my baptism at the age of 19. On the contrary, this has been a journey that, that I have taken and will continue to take 
all the days of my life. Um, so for me, one of, one of the t- key lines here is, is this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It's in the active phrasing. Um, this is not phrased in the either it is or either it isn't. It, it, it is in the active phrasing. So where your heart is at any moment, uh, there your heart will also be. So the implication of the passage is, is not only a, a truth that we would see in a black and white, but also in a truth um, that, that marches on, that, that has, has the sense that um, this isn't a final judgment being made on people. It is rather, um, you know, it is a challenge thrown out which means to some degree or another that we know we have volition here. We make decisions. We, um, we have a choice and, and can make the decisions to grow one way or the other. We can become um, spirit-led people or we can become culturally-led people. Either way, we will be led. You know, we will lead and we will be led. We are not, not creatures destined to be influenced by nothing. We're influenced by everything that's around us. Um, but for us, in terms of, of thinking, in terms of, of spiritual growth and, and where we're going, to understand that God calls us um, to this direction and that it becomes a, a battle like George that you fight every day because every day there's a potter that comes and wants to shake your hand. Every day. How does one engage? Does one do it consciously, intentionally, purposefully? Or does one, as, as Wendy was saying earlier, you know, we can, we can choose to ignore. We can choose to not see clearly. We can choose the convenient interpretations, which the world, uh, even the church will give us. But ultimately, to, to see one's heart in the generous place is as much a witness to the power of God to change us as it is a command for us to do. Understand that the, the continuing role of the Spirit to transform us into who we are becoming is a witness above and beyond simply ourselves or even our church family, but to the world out there. How we use our money, our talent, our resource, our influence, um, all serves as a witness to who we are and who, who leads us, who guides us. Is it the culture? Is it the spirit? Is it the church? Et cetera, et cetera. We got about three minutes. Thoughts? Jack will give me one. Well, the judges have been very gabby today. We were talking about this. I remember, <laughs> I remember Tony Compola standing right there looking at a gentleman sitting in a seat right here, and he said, you were here last week in a different suit. Do you need them both? And that, I think of that almost every day. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think what Wendy was saying plays in, into all of that. I think the very fact that 
I am daily struggling with that, and I really am. I bet I'll never forget it. Yeah. Um, that that has some influence, at least, on who I am. Yeah. It's a powerful line. I mean, do you need them both? What is one to give away? What does Jesus say about two tunics? Hush! Hush! Hush, hush, hush. I thought I looked pretty good, too. But I know my brother, he always thinks he looks good, no matter what he's wearing. <laughs> okay. Um, the, one, the one issue we didn't get to today revolves around community. And Jack touched on it when he talked about responsibility. But one of the themes we really need to get to next week, it, it seems to me, is, um, is what drives George. And it's not simply a matter of right and wrong. It isn't a matter simply of, uh, for him, obviously, of being faithful or unfaithful, because um, we were going to have a segue today about the faith of, of George Bailey, which we don't get much of in, in the movie. What we do get is his, his um, ethical and moral um, uh, grounding. Um, but are we driven by, by a moral code? Are we driven by a sense of what is right and what is wrong? Is he driven by that, or is he driven by something different? That being, is he driven by the needs that speak to what he has and what he does? Not simply a, a, a God who, who you know, has a law, so to speak, or a moral expectation. Um, there, there's something significant, I think, that God is incarnate in Jesus and comes to be amongst us and around us. Um, so there's a role, there's, there's something in George that speaks to community. Yeah, I, I think George had a loyalty to his father and the, the business, mm -hmm. and that was driving him to continue to do it. And the rest of it, the loyalty to the community. He yeah. cared for those people. Yeah, and we, we need to be able to put that into a theological construct. Because it is uh, the very center post of Scripture itself. We tend to live in a day and age where individualism drives everything. Uh, a terribly unbiblical concept. Um, one taken significantly out of, of scriptural context. Uh, even salvation becomes simply all about me. Uh, and what I'm going to get out of it. Okay, let's pray. Then I think most of you need to make your way to the sanctuary as I head off to brunch. <laughs> oh, let's pray. Gracious God, for this day we give you thanks. It is a gift, as is the gift of love, the gift of community, the gift of mercy and forgiveness and grace. In this season, as we anticipate the advent arrival of Jesus remind us again that all is a gift indeed all that we have comes from you remind us that in time all will return to you remind us that these days are fleeting and yet purposeful 
For you call us into a way of being here and now that brings you honor and glory. Allow us to be honor and glory for you in the world this week. Bless us now as we go to worship. Guide us and guard us. Let us hear your truth as it is read and proclaimed. Continue to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Send us out into the world to be your people of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.